fire, earth, water, air. Long ago, the four nations lived together in harmony. Then everything changed and the water nation attacked. Only the Avatar, master of all four elements, could stop them. But when the world needed him most, he vanished. A hundred years passed and my brother and I discovered the new Avatar, an airbender named Aang. And although his airbending skills are great, he has a lot to learn before he's ready to save anyone. But I believe Aang can save the world. Hey everyone, it's me, Madame Millimeow here, introducing you to today's episode, Zhao of the Fire Nation. This is our Bato Parallel episode, of course, but it is still its own thing. However, I have not read the its own thing version of this. I read the version of the chapter that was written many, many moons ago, which is cool. I love that the author is revisiting their older chapters and rewriting them. But it does mean I am going to be a little surprised when I read it, since I haven't gotten the more worked-on version before. Anyway, as I mentioned last time, we have Reddit and Twitter now. And again, I'm going to try to give them to you real quick, in case you didn't write down or care this week and didn't last time. The Twitter is Atla, capital A, capital T, capital L, capital A. Distort, capital D. Not distorted, just distort. Pod, P-O-D, capital P. Alright, that's it. Atla Distort Pod. The Reddit, I don't know if Reddit is case sensitive, quite frankly. I don't know how Reddit works. But in case it is, U slash distorted, capital D. Reality, capital R. Pod, capital P. And of course, by now, you should probably know our Tumblr, but in case you want to hear it again, it is Avatar Distorted Reality Dash Podcast. That is the only one with the character length long enough to fit the whole shebang in there. It's funny how that works out. But yes, we are on multiple platforms. Hit us up on there if you're curious about anything. Um, we are definitely going to be recording old chapter episodes, and I repeating this because next week unless the author Bathan finishes their rewrite in you know a week we will be recording the old version of the next chapter that's just what it is we want content out so that people can hear it and if you're currently reading the fan fiction the content that exists is the only content you're aware of that's just how it is when you're updating an old fanfic you don't delete all the chapters and then replace them with the new ones when you finish them. You keep the old stuff up there until you read it. And we don't want to put it on hiatus for a long time because the author's going to move at the author's own pace. Alright, on to the generic ad, then the episode. Chapter 15, Zhao of the Fire Nation. Author's Notes. This dream scene is taken exactly from the show, but it is necessary since Zhao isn't exactly alive after the time of the comet. Edited June 17, 2021. The biggest thing this time around was changing the locale for this chapter. Originally, it was at the Abbey where those nuns made perfume, just like in the show, but it didn't make sense to just transplant them over to the Fire Nation and call it a day. I hope this new version is more creative and entertaining, since it features some characters who never made it into the story otherwise. Book 1, Fire. Chapter 14, Zhao of the Fire Nation. The moon high above was the color of blood deep red and no longer lighting up the sky. Zhao stood at the edge of the spirit oasis, 
proclaiming the fish he had caught to the sky, announcing his victory over the world. I am a legend now. His voice was low and quivering, still in disbelief over his fulfilled destiny. Two of the moon spirits shook and struggled feebly in the sack clutched in his fist, as helpless as the entire water tribe before him. The Fire Nation will for generations tell stories about the great Zhao who darkened the moon. They will call me Zhao the Conqueror, Zhao the Moonslayer, Zhao the Invincible. His eyes were wide and filled with emotion as his men watched from behind him. Pride and everlasting glory were at his fingertips. And then a lemur pounced on his head, tugging at his face, pulling at his cheeks and sideburns. Get it off, Zhao bellowed, shaking his head rapidly. Get it off! As his men moved to help him, Momo flew away, landing on Aang's outstretched arm. Zhao's men and the Avatar's companions took up fighting positions. Don't bother, Zhao said, holding his fist up to the bag of water. One blast of fire from his knuckles would end the moon's life forever. Aang dropped his staff and held his hands up in a gesture of surrender. Zhao, don't! It's my destiny to destroy the moon and the water tribe. Destroying the moon won't just hurt the water tribe, Aang said to him. It will hurt everyone, including you. Zhao seemed to pause. Without the moon, everything would fall out of balance. The black fish, La, swam frantically in the oasis water, missing its mate. You have no idea what kind of chaos that would unleash on the world. He is right, Zhao. A deeper, rougher voice said from the side. Iroh, clad in red and gold cloak, revealed himself. General Iroh, Zhao mused. Why am I not surprised to discover your treachery? I'm no traitor, Zhao, Iroh said, taking off his hood. The Fire Nation needs the moon too. We all depend on the balance. His voice turned aggressive as Zhao did nothing. He pointed at the other man. Whatever you do to that spirit, I'll unleash on you tenfold. Let it go, now! Zhao hesitated and tensed as Iroh took a fighting stance. His features relaxed in defeat. He moved to lower the fish into the water, releasing it again. The sky turned bright with the light of the moon, and Yin and Yang began their everlasting dance once more. Suddenly, Zhao's eyes widened with fury, and in a burst of uncontrollable anger, pulled his hand back and struck the pond with fire, which raged and swept over everyone before dying down. Lying in the center of the pool, with an intense burn along its side, two floated on the surface of the water as La swam frantically around it. The moon and the night turned to black. Iroh immediately went on the offensive, striking Zhao and his men with furious blasts of fire. Zhao fled as his men fell to the ground in pain. Shocked, Aang, Katara, Sokka, and Yue met Iroh at the front of the pond, staring down into the oasis. Iroh sorrowfully lifted the dead fish out of the water. Yue started tears as she fell into Sokka's arms. There's no hope now. It's over. Full of anger and intense sorrow over the loss of a kindred spirit, the Avatar state shone with life and Aang's voice took on all of his past lives. No, it's not over. As always, Aang thought back to his nightmare the moment he woke up. It had become a more ritual of his. This particular dream brought on a feeling of anger and helplessness, mostly directed at the spirits. His anger at the spirits was multiplied because they had dumped him into an alternate universe that always seemed to twist his insides into complicating, confusing bunches. 
Yue's loss was the first death Aang had suffered during the war. Because of that, it hit him hard. For the first time he could remember, he felt something akin to hatred towards Zhao, a feeling that he would soon become accustomed to in a year's time. Aang assumed that Aang died during his Avatar State Rampage, along with all the other Fire Nation soldiers, and Aang wanted him to die. Good morning, Angie. His contemplative viewing of the morning sky was blocked by a grinning, happy face. Hey, Ty Lee, he said to her, his voice monotone of tiredness. Her knees bent as she loomed over him in a prominent frown. Boy, you and Azula sure are boring in the morning. Sorry we can't be as exciting as you and Zuzu, Azula moaned into her pillow. But you're a firebender. Aren't you supposed to rise at the sun or something? When Tylee received no answer, she smiled to herself. Well, I'm glad Zuko's here to watch the sun rise with me. You guys really don't pay attention to him. That's why he's always up earliest in the morning. Tylee, Zuko moaned. You're not supposed to tell them that. Azula goffed and sat up from her bedroll, stretching. Oh, Suzu, you're a helpless romantic. Zuko deflated as he tended to their breakfast, absolutely miserable. Today it consisted of hard-boiled eggs and bamboo shoots and a sweet, spicy sauce along with dried apricots on the side. More involved than usual, and Aang suspected Ty Lee might have had something to do with it, whether he cooked that much to impress her or she had unexpected skill in cooking and helped him. Either way, it made his mouth water. Aang smiled as he watched Ty Lee interact with his friends, happy that she was with them. She brought a whole new flavor to the group, and her happiness and smiling was infectious. Maybe it would signal an end to overly salted dried meats. Even though Aang no longer had his vegetarian habit, he still didn't like the taste of most meats. In the Earth Kingdom, where the ground was scorched and destroyed by the Fire Nation during the Comet, food was hard to come by, especially vegetation. He had to eat meat by necessity back then. You know what? I know just the thing that would brighten Azula's day, Tylee exclaimed, pointing a finger upwards. And, well, maybe Aang too, if he likes the result. Azula narrowed her eyes dangerously. What are you insinuating? Well, Tylee continued, I know about this enclave not far from here where you can get singing lessons. She dropped her voice to a conspiratorial whisper that clearly wasn't meant to be heard by Aang or Zuko, but they did anyway. Aang might be really impressed by your voice. You gotta have some cute trait that suitors would like. For me, it's my sense of style. Azula's eyes widened, and for the first time Aang had ever seen, she looked absolutely stunned. The expression quickly passed, however, and she spoke sharply to Tylee. I'm not going to learn something as useless as singing. If you bring this up again, I'll burn every piece of clothing you own, and you won't have any style. Tylee giggled. Why not? It'll be fun. And she thinks she won't fall through on that threat, Zuko whispered to Aang. Aang shrugged. Singing could be a great skill to learn, he said. I think it would suit you, Azula. Her head snapped to Aang like a whip, so fast it was a miracle she didn't hurt her neck. What? But, Tylee, I really don't think we have time to waste. We need to get to the Golden City, Aang said, letting out a sigh. He affixed his new headband to cover his forehead, tightening it at the back. It's already taking us a lot longer than it should to traverse the Fire Nation. What? 
No, I want to go, she said, waving her hands frantically. We don't need to go to the Golden City so fast, do we? She chuckled nervously. I mean, it's not all that important. We've taken a lot of detours already, said Zuko, cleaning up the remains of their breakfast. Maybe it would be better to just go on to our destination. What is wrong with you two? Where's your sense of fun? Azula asked, finally getting irritated enough to butt in. The carnival turned out to be a good diversion. We're going to this enclave of singers, and that's final. Zuko slumped his shoulders and groaned. It was better not to cross Azula's final decisions. The Wang wondered what made her change her mind so abruptly. Contrarily, Tai Li cheered on the spot. Aang wondered why she was so happy about diverting them from their main destination. Did she not want to go to the Golden City anymore? Did she even want to go in the first place? He would have to ask her later, perhaps when Zuko and Azula were distracted by the singing lessons. The shadowy alley was dark and imposing as he walked, sending shivers up his spine with every step. He was tense and ready for any sign of attack, his blue eyes shifting in all directions. On the contrary, his grandmother walked beside him perfectly at ease. Brighten up, my grandson, she said to him, her blue eyes twinkling. Based on his reputation, this man will catch the Avatar for sure. If he doesn't kill him first, Sokka said with a roll of his eye, I can't believe I'm going through with this. The sound of the crunch of metal on stone halted both of them in their tracks. Sokka fell into a fighting stance, his hands grabbing his club and machete. Kana didn't even flinch. As the man walked into their view, Sokka looked at him for the first time. He zeroed in on the man's metal arm, which ended in a sharp claw. His eye then fell to the man's leg, his second metal appendage. Lastly, he flicked his view to the man's face and the strange eye-shaped tattoo in the center of his forehead. He was the Combustion Man, the most feared assassin and bounty hunter throughout the world. I heard a lot about you, Sokka said to the man, his gaze calculating and ready for any sudden movements. I know you're good at what you do and you never miss a target, but I want you to find the Avatar and capture him. Alive. The man said nothing, which he could only assume meant an approval. Denial, he guessed, would have been much more of a statement. There it is! Down there! Ty Lee shouted excitedly, her braid whipping in the wind. More than once, the braid slapped Azula in the face, and each time that happened during their flight, she got more and more irritated until she threatened to burn it off at Ty Lee's head, and the latter slid away to the other side of the saddle. Aang was silent and on guard as the bison landed in the center of the paddock enclosed by a ring of sheltered walkways and wooden-tiered buildings. It was an open-air pavilion, likely repurposed from an old sage's cloister, with vegetable gardens to sustain the singing instructors and roughly a dozen students. On the way here, Tai Li had explained to them that this enclave was a highly selective school for singers and even stage performers. A couple alumni even went on to become members of the Ember Island Players. The instructors themselves were retired members of a renowned traveling singing group. Aang had the momentary fear that they were going to be the singing nomads he had met once, until Tai Li explained that they were a treasure of the Fire Nation, native to the towns and villages of the Inner Islands. A few Komodo rhinos grazing in the paddock padded off when Appa landed, but several people of all ages came over in curiosity over Team Avatar's arrival. Five stood at the front of the crowd. All of them were men, and one of them had a feather decoration in his hair that Aang vaguely recognized. Tai Lee jumped down from Appa and held her hands out. Hello there, she called. It's been a while, hasn't it? 
Ty Lee, said the man in front, grinning wide. It has. It's good to see you. Have you come to put on your trapeze act again? The students never stopped talking about it. Zuko blinked as they stepped down from Appa. Ty Lee, you know these guys? Oh yeah, she said. I stopped by here once or twice with the circus, but I almost forgot to make introductions. Aang, Zuko, Azula, meet the rhythmic rhinos, the best singers in the Fire Nation. Aang had to suck in his lips to keep from laughing. Now he recognized these guys. The rough rhinos had been an occasional counter he and his friends faced throughout the course of the war, but to his knowledge, they fell in battle during a scuffle in the southern territories. Pleased to meet you, said the leader, joining palm to fists together in a bow. I'm Monkey. Welcome to our enclave. This is the best of the best, Azula whispered, so only Aang and Zuko could hear. Well, it can't be that hard. We're actually here to try out, said Ty Lee, putting her hands on her hips. The rest of their audience had begun to disperse, headed back to their lessons, but Monkey and his fellow rhinos stuck around. My friends here think they have what it takes. No, we don't, said Zuko, grimacing. I really, really don't. Aang scratched his head. Uh, how long will this take? We really don't have the time to stay here long term. Azula waved a hand dismissively. Oh, it won't be long. I'm sure I'll be able to dominate the opposition. Monkey laughed. Well, Tylee, you're certainly welcome to audition. But let us show you and your friends around first. You might find that the music will speak to you. Monkey and the Rhythmic Rhinos led them to the central building. On the way, after getting told the rest of their names, Aang tried to piece together what he remembered of the other rough rhinos as Monkey introduced them. Aang had never learned their names before, but he remembered Ogde, who was bald except for a long black braid off-center from his head, and Kachi with his impressive beard. One of them in Aang's world kept his face concealed behind a helmet. Even here, Ye Lu covered his entire face with a draped cloth that had the character for beauty painted on it. Lastly, Vashir rounded out the group with tattoos around his eyes that made Aang wonder if the Yuyan archers existed in this world. All five of them demonstrated kindness and warmth welcomes despite their intimidating exteriors, pointing out notable parts of the Enclave with enthusiasm and encouragement for the passing students. All but Monkey eventually departed to return to their students, but before going, they made Aang and the others promise to attend their concert the following night. After they passed the halls where students had their room and board, Monkey led them to an indoor atrium with tiered seatings that provided excellent acoustics for anyone standing on stage. A scattering of instruments had been arranged on the stage, and even Ty Lee plucked the string of a lute as she passed, the sound reverberating throughout the rest of the atrium. Aang and Zuko sat in the seats with Monkey while both Ty Lee and Azula prepared to demonstrate. Ty Lee stretched and trilled and cleared her throat, and when Monkey called for her to sing something, first she strode to the center of the stage with the utmost solemnity, her eyes downcast in display of somber emotion that made Aang, Zuko, and even Monkey lean forward with interest. La 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 la! The sound that issued from her throat sounded like a flock of gilla geese dying all at once, so terrible that Aang had to grit his teeth. La, 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 la! Well, Ty Lee, that was certainly lively, said Monkey as soon as she finished. Aang tugged on his earlobes to alleviate the ringing, though I think your true talents lie in acrobatics. She smiled sheepishly. I figured as much. Oh well. 
gotta try everything once, you know? What do you think, Zuko? Zuko had covered his ears at one point during her performance, but he managed a weak smile. Uh, I never knew anyone could sing like that. Tylee laughed. It's okay, you can say it was terrible. Is it my turn? Azula asked, stepping up to Ty Lee's side at the center of the stage. I have a song ready. Ty Lee joined Aang and the others in their seats while Azula looked out at something beyond them and cleared her throat. Zuko chuckled as his sister prepared her voice. This should be good, he said. I don't think Azula knows any songs all the way through. And they're all our uncles. Azula took a deep breath and held a hand to the center of her chest. Winter, fall... Summer and spring, she sang, drawing out the words more than Aang thought the song called for. Every year the birds take wing, four seasons, four loves, four seasons, four love. Return to the nest and never fly, soar to the winds the winter sings. Beyond the leaves a keening cry, the sun or moon which will it bring? Winter, fall, summer and spring, four seasons, four loves, four seasons, four love. Once she finished, she put a hand on her hip and waited expectantly. Well... Zuko blinked in shock and whispered to Aang, Who would have guessed she listened to the whole song? Painfully average, said Monkey, arms crossed and unimpressed, stilted and emotionless. It is clear to me that you have never practiced singing for a crowd in your life. Azula's brow rose, and for the second time that day, she looked stunned. Excuse me? Aang sunk into his chair. Azula was better than he expected, but even he thought Monkey was a bit harsh. Maybe one day you might get it if you work hard enough, Monkey continued, but it's obvious that you lack the gift. Zuko let out a low whistle. It's been a long time since I've seen her direct that glare at someone other than me. Azula looked indeed livid. Aang, Zuko, Tylee, we're leaving, she said, stomping back up the atrium steps, barely slowing down to look at them. Right this instant. Already? Tylee asked, joining our hands together. But, Azula, you're already perfect in so many other ways. That was way better than my singing. Azula looked as if she were about to retort when she stopped in her tracks, eyes fixed on the doorway. Aang followed her gaze, and his blood ran cold. Zuko stood up and gasped. Zhao, is that you? Framed in the doorway, Zhao offered Azula a slow clap. Unlike every other time Aang had seen the man all those years ago, this time he didn't wear armor. Instead, he had a gray robe draped over his shoulders and matching loose pants tied with a black sash. An opening in the robe displayed bandages wrapped around his torso. Otherwise, he still had the same proud topknot and bushy sideburns that Aang remembered. My, my, he said. Even his voice still oozed the same condescending tone. What a surprise. Ozai's own children, in the flesh. I never thought I'd see the two of you here. Aang remembered how much Prince Zuko had hated Zhao. But now, Zuko's surprise turned into a wide grin. Zhao, it's good to see you. 
Both Zuko and Azula stood at Zhao's side as the latter spread his arms to encompass their shoulders. You two have grown, Zhao said. Your father will be pleased to see you. Father? Azula asked, eyes wide. Aang felt his heart pound against his chest. He couldn't be here. He prepared to leap away if Ozai walked through that door next, panic rising so much that he felt like he could be sick. He's here? No, said Zhao, letting out a low chuckle under his breath. And at his words, Aang felt his tense legs loosen. Zhao turned Zuko and Azula away from Aang, Tylee, and Monkey as if he didn't even notice them. Not at this circus. Come, my tent is outside. I'll fill you two in on all the exciting details. Aang and Tai Li found themselves sitting in the corner of Zhao's tent, picking at their sour dumpling soup bowls while Zhao regaled all of them with the details of the horrific battle that ended with him being wounded and all of their waterbender enemies devastated. He gestured to his weapon rack, which had broadswords, longswords, a bow and quiver of arrows, a guan dao, and several daggers all polished and free of dust as he told the story of how he gutted an enemy warrior with that very knife wrested that sword from another warrior's grip, used the spear as a crutch while enemies chased him through the wilderness. All the gory details started to make even Zuko look green, but Azula listened with rapt attention. Now, Azula, imagine the terror on his face as I used his own sword against him. Obviously, I also wielded it with much more skill than he did, but it might be harder to imagine that kind of skill without much reference for real sword fighting to go off of. Zhao gave a meaningful glance towards Zuko as he said it. There's no substitute for the skill and training of a real soldier. Zuko frowned. What about Lu Ten? We've seen his demonstrations plenty of times. Azula cut across Zuko, eager for more details. So how'd you get wounded? And why did father and the others leave you here? Aang scowled at the dig towards Zuko, but kept to himself as Zhao went on to explain that he had been outnumbered and stayed back to hold off enemy forces while Ozai and the rest of his soldiers retreated. He'd been left at a singing enclave of all places, because it was the nearest safe place for Zhao to rest and recover. So, is your dad still nearby? Tylee asked. She lowered her bowl to her lap and averted her eyes. Maybe, maybe you'll get to see him. At her question, Aang found himself feeling a familiar ache at the idea of Zuko and Azula leaving for their father's side. He knew how she felt. They're going up and down the eastern coasts, Zhao answered, but they should be returning soon to pick me up again before we head across the sea to the Earth Kingdom. So if you want to see him, it'd be your last chance. Not just father, but Lu Ten too, Zuko said, leaning back. It'll be strange. Zhao gestured toward Aang with his chopsticks. And if you bring the Avatar to present to your father, he'd surely reward you. You'd be in his good favor. Aang felt heat stirring in his gut. I'm not a prize. I can see right through you. You just want that recognition for yourself, don't you? It came out harsher than he intended. Zhao's voice deepened as he smirked, and his words came out like a draw. You've got a sharp mouth on you, boy, he said. I'm already one of Lord Ozai's favored soldiers. What use could I have for you? Aang, your aura's turning really red, Tylee pointed out with a timid voice. 
emboldened by Aang's silence, who bit his tongue to avoid saying something that would offend Zuko or Azula, Zhao continued, You should respect your elders. Did they forget to teach you that at monk school? I expected the Avatar to be much more disciplined than this. Azula furrowed her brow and she looked between them both. What is going on here? Aang, we know you're not just a prize to present to our father. Aang was about to retort to Zhao when Zuko stood and grasped Aang by the shoulder. Come on, let's go outside. Taken aback by Zuko's action, Aang shot one last glare at Ozai before getting up and following Zuko outside of the tent. Part of him felt like Zhao would attempt a sneak attack as Aang's turned back, and the thought left a tingling in the back of his neck. You need to cool off, Zuko said. What's bothering you? What's bothering me? Aang asked, incredulous, as he looked back at the tent. Looking at Zhao, he could only picture the arrogant, destructive man who had nearly wiped out the moon and made Aang lose a friend. But even further than that, he recognized a similar event with his friends back home, when Aang did something stupid and both Sokka and Katara left him behind to reunite with their father. He turned away from the tent, facing the rhythmic rhino's enclave across the field. Zhao's a jerk. Zuko shrugged and hesitated before responding, letting the singing cicadas fill the silence. He can be. Didn't you notice the way he was talking about you? Sort of, Zuko admitted. But he's always been like that. I'm used to it. Azula has always had most of the village's attention. But that doesn't mean you should just put up with it, Aang said. How is that fair? We were always taught to show respect and discipline especially to our elders and particularly those outside of our family, Zuko said. He kicked at a loose stone in the grass. That's just how it's always been. Speaking up and speaking out reflected badly on our father. And, well, now that you're with us, you're our responsibility. You disrespect me and Azula, and by extension our father, if you offended Zhao or dishonored him. Aang crossed his arms and looked away. I'm no one's responsibility, he said but even he knew it sounded petulant. Even so, he didn't miss the implication behind Zuko's words, that he was part of their family. <sighs> Zuko sighed, but then smiled. If you say so, he said. His eyes focused on the tent flap as it opened and Azula and Ty Lee climbed out to head toward the enclave. I'm going back inside, but I have a bad feeling about Azula and Ty Lee sneaking off in the night. Why don't you go see what they're up to? Glad for any excuse not to go back into Zhao's tent, Aang nodded and followed after the two girls toward the pavilion in the center of the paddock. He crept low when he heard them talking, and stopped short when Azula started to vocalize. She didn't use words, but she changed the pitch and volume of her voice at Tylee's direction. Even though it still wasn't that good, Aang found himself sitting in the grass and listening. He supposed she took Monkei's words to heart even if she tried to make it appear otherwise. For reasons he couldn't say, he let the sound carry him into pleasant, nostalgic memories. Oh, Aang! What are you doing here? Tylee noticed him while he was caught up in the sight of Azula practicing, and he leapt to his feet. Oh, I was, uh, just curious to see what you two were doing. Oh, Tylee said, waving a hand. Azula's just trying to impress. Azula clamped a sharp talon hand over Tylee's lips. Not another word. Tylee nodded fearfully, but Aang grinned as he tugged at the back of his headband. I think you're getting better, Azula, 
She pointed at Aang with her free hand. That goes for you, too. You didn't see anything. Sokka didn't know what to think about the Combustion Man. He seemed to know where to go, how to find the Avatar, all without saying a word to him or his grandmother. They left Sokka's ship and it was just the three of them now traveling over land. The trio had stopped to take a short break and let the buffalo yaks rest. But when Sokka pulled them out by their reins toward his grandmother and the Combustion Man, he found that they weren't ready to go at all. His grandmother and the Combustion Man were seated around a short wooden table playing a game of Pai Show. Sokka raised his eyebrows and then furrowed them. What are you two doing? he asked, his voice sharp. He didn't even know where his grandmother had gotten the table or the pie show board. Kana seemed as innocent as ever as she moved a tile across the board. We were just playing a short pie show game. Prince Sokka, would you like to join us? Sokka clenched his fist. No, we have to find the Avatar. I've come up with a plan. But me and this nice gentleman were having such pleasant conversation, Kana said with a pout. Sokka highly doubted the man spoke to her. He never did. Even now, his face was as blank as it always was. Sokka could only grasp his forehead and sigh in exasperation. They spent most of the next day helping out at the Enclave and listening to more of Zhao's stories. The whole time, Aang withstood Zhao's condescending attitude, his dismissal of Zuko, and even his occasional rudeness to Tai Li, who failed to notice the slice each time he made them. Eventually, Aang realized that Zhao saw Azula as Ozai's favorite. By staying on her good side, it ensured Zhao would remain on Ozai's. The whole concept made Aang angry on Zuko's behalf. Even here, Azula got better treatment than her brother? And just because she could firebend and he couldn't? This continued all the way until it was time to attend the Rhythmic Rhinos concert. The gathering outside the pavilion had grown to include even members from a village half a day's walk away. As the warm, clear night descended on the mall, the rhinos and a handful of their students prepared their performance, some using instruments while the rhinos themselves sang without accompaniment. All five men vocalized in harmony with each other, with one singing from the throat, his rumbling guiding them wrong. Aang had never heard anything like it, and at the end of their performance he found himself clapping as hard as everyone else. After they finished, Zhao scowled at the stage and lurked off toward his tent. Azula, Zuko, and Tai Li didn't seem to notice, but Aang watched Zhao leave with a frown. The whole reason Azula and Zuko wanted to stay an extra day was the chance to spend extra time with him, for some unexplainable reason, so why was he leaving? Monkey approached Aang and stopped at his side, watching Zhao. I won't be sad to see his back for the last time when he leaves. His sense of pride is too great to stay here. Tai Li slid closer to Aang and Monkey. Perhaps so Zuko and Azula wouldn't overhear her. Sabi clung to her back, her giant ears perking over Tylee's shoulders. He's being kind of rude, isn't he? He was shot in the back by an arrow, said Monkey, his face darkening in the shadows of nearby torches. It leads me to believe he fled during a battle in an attempt to abandon his comrades. So, of course, he is bitter about being left here to recover, a place he thinks to be beneath him. I've had enough of that guy, Aang muttered under his breath. With Monkey's words, it had all come together. He walked off into the night, pursuing Zhao to give him a piece of his mind. With each step, Aang found himself getting angrier and angrier. He thought of the man's arrogance and his capability for destruction. He thought of Yue and the monster that Zhao's actions had forced Aang to become. 
He thought of the devastation he had wrought on Zhao's fleet at the North Pole, and how he hated and feared himself for so long afterward. It began with Zhao. It was his fault. He caught up to Zhao at the outside of his tent. Zhao! Zhao's shoulders tensed as he turned to regard Aang. What is it you want, little boy? I figured you out, Aang said, gripping his staff tight. You've been disgraced, dishonored. You fled from battle like a coward and got shot in the back, and now you want Zuko and Azula so you can restore yourself to glory in your superior's eyes. He couldn't bring himself to say Ozai's name. Not yet. You want me, the Avatar. I really am just a prize to you. Zhao's face twisted. You watch your mouth. You have no idea what you're talking about. I don't, Aang spread his arms. All you care about is yourself and your status. He heard footsteps padding in the grass behind him. Azula caught up first and gripped Aang's shoulder. Aang, what is the meaning of this? Zhao's a coward, Aang said of vehemence, enjoying the way Zhao flinched at the word. He was shot in the back after trying to run away. Zuko's eyes widened. What? Aang, that's a serious accusation. I was shot in the back, Zhao said. His voice had turned cold. But not because I tried to run. He inclined his head toward Azula and Zuko. Your father had fallen off of his Komodo rhino during a battle with water tribe warriors and lost consciousness. Their archers lined up and I did the first thing that came to mind. I shielded his body with my own. Miraculously, most of the arrows grazed me and only one hit. He squared his shoulders and drew himself to his forehead. So don't you dare call me a coward. Avatar. Aang felt a pang in his chest when his heart dropped. No way, that's a lie. You made it up to make yourself look good, like all your other stories. But even he knew he didn't sound convincing. I don't know, Aang, Tylee said, biting her fingers. You've been horrible to Zhao ever since we got here, said Azula, her fist clenched. We've known him our whole lives. Honestly, I don't care whether or not he's lying. You may not like him, you don't have to, but this is the first news we've gotten about our father and his soldiers ever since they left our village. Aang looked to Zuko, who only frowned and shook his head and said nothing. Why are you all defending him? Look at the way he treated us all, especially Zuko. Azula slapped him in the face. It was hard enough for his face to sting, for him to feel her long nails scratch his cheek. Enough, Aang! He saw her again. The same Azula that had killed everyone close to him, and it was as if he was seeing her for the first time. We've known Zhao a lot longer than we've known you, Zuko said, his voice hard. I think you keep forgetting that. But I've known you a lot longer than you think, he wanted to say, but the words wouldn't come. We're going with Zhao, Azula said finally. She didn't look at Aang in the eyes when she said it. We're going to meet with our father again, so you should leave. Aang's shoulders fell. After everything, he allowed the same thing to happen. He messed up, pushed his two friends away with his own selfishness. But the anger at Zhao remained, like it was lodged in his throat so he couldn't say anything else. Anger at Zhao. Anger at worse evils. Tylee, are you coming? Zuko asked. Or are you going with Aang? Tylee lowered her eyes and wrung her fingers. Aang's going to the Golden City. And, well... I have to go, too. Zuko closed his eyes for a moment before he went back into Zhao's tent. Fine, then, he said, before disappearing into its folds. 
Azula followed him in without a word of farewell. Angry, consuming flames blasted from Aang's fists with each pump of his arms. Arcs flew from every kick. Sweat gathered on his brow, causing his hair to stick to his head. The white lotus headband had been discarded. The night wore on, but Aang's anger never diminished. Tylee was a wreck. She huddled close to the fire, arms wrapped around her knees. Somehow, she got the notion into her head that everything was her fault, that this would never have happened if she joined Avatar's group. She was the one who brought them to the Enclave, after all. Aang's energy was finally spent, and darkness surrounded him once he extinguished his flames. The two had left the Enclave grounds right after the confrontation with Zhao, and now they camped on the island's beach. The waves washed up against the shore, but Tai Li and the fire were just out of their range. Aang sat down next to her with his legs crossed, sighing. His staff lay next to the fire, his headband wrapped around it. Appa was close enough to the fire to feel its heat, and Sabi was wrapped around Tylee's head, cooing softly to her. Why were you so angry? Tylee suddenly asked him, not taking her eyes off the fire. Her fingers drew pictures in the sand. I never thought you could become like that. You wouldn't understand. No one would, he said. Why won't you let them? she asked. Aang didn't answer for a few moments. What does it matter? They left on their own choice. I don't care anymore, he finally said. I think you do, she replied quietly. Aang's thoughts brought him back to a similar moment with Sokka and Katara. They left him too, but it wasn't nearly as bad as this was. Would Zuko and Azula ever come back? But this time, he had Tai Lee. He wasn't alone. Tai Lee chose to stay. He felt a surge of affection for her. He was really thankful. They care about you. I know they do, Tylee said. They're loyal. I don't think they'd ever abandon you. She was so naive, so optimistic. It was just the way he used to be. I'm glad you're my friend, Tylee. I'm happy that you're here with me, at least. She smiled. Me too, Aang. Over an hour later, Azula found herself glancing down at her palm. She could have sworn it still tangled from when she slapped Aang. You two made the right choice, Zhao said, disconcerned by Azula and Zuko's glum demeanors. You're going to reunite with your family again. Only danger awaited you down the Avatar's path. He doesn't deserve you two. You got that right, Azula agreed. I thought I understood him perfectly. Well, you miscalculated, Zuko said with a shrug. That's all there is to it. He did have a lot of secrets he hid from us, Azula said. See, he isn't trustworthy, Zhao butted in. You two need to be surrounded by people you trust. He tensed with a loud noise hammered somewhere outside, frequent and almost rhythmic, getting louder and louder like it was coming towards them. It sounded like something metal. Both Azula and Zuko stood to go outside and face whatever it was, but Zhao held out his arm and blocked the tent's entrance, waiting. The sound stopped. A metal claw suddenly ripped through the tent's fabric, cutting a swath and revealing a bald, bearded man to them with a strange tattoo on his head. Zhao, Zuko, and Azula jumped backward, picking up their weapons and taking fighting stances. With a few quick swipes of his arm, the metal man tore away the tent, making its posts clatter to the ground and exposing them all to the night. Prince Sokka revealed himself behind the strange metal-limbed man, 
ducking underneath the giant man's outstretched arm and looking around. Where is he? Why isn't the Avatar with you? Sokka asked. You missed him. He's long gone, says Zuko, tightening his grip on his broadswords. You know where he is. Tell me, said Sokka. We left him hours ago, said Azula, her eyes narrowed. Leave us. Sokka gestured to the metal man, who stepped up to Azula and grabbed her by the arm. His grip was unbearably tight and cold in his iron hand. Azula couldn't wrench herself free. I'm not afraid of you, she said fiercely. The man said nothing. Show them your power, said Sokka. His arms crossed. A smirk grew on his face. The metal man concentrated his gaze somewhere above Azula, inhaled, and a pure beam of light shot from the tattoo on his forehead. The beam collided with the trees surrounding them, which exploded into a maelstrom of fire and wood. Azula instinctively moved closer to the giant of a man for protection, one flinchingly rest being hit by debris as everyone else shielded themselves. Well, that was unnecessary, the old woman next to Sokka said. Next to the metal man, she looked tiny. Now do you fear him? Sokka asked. Zhao, let me go, Zuka suddenly yelled, trying to wrestle himself free of Zhao's grip. We need to get out of here. That man is too strong for us to handle. I'm not leaving my sister. That's cute, the water prince said with a dark grin. With a yell, Zhao unsheathed his own straight, long sword and ran at Sokka, holding his weapon behind him as he prepared to swing. Sokka brought up his machete to block the attack. That was foolish. Sokka said to him through grit teeth as their weapons were locked. Oh dear, Kana mumbled to herself. The combustion man did nothing except continue to hold Azula. Zhao broke free of the locked weapons first, bringing his sword around to swing again and again, grunting with each strike against Sokka's machete. He was unleashing all his fury and uncontrolled attacks. I've never lost a fight against an opponent, Zhao said between breaths. Well... Then they were stupid opponents then, Sokka said with a narrowed eye. You failed to account for one thing, Sokka, Azula noted suddenly, gaining a clever smirk. Fighting like this, you've lost the advantage of your mind-blowing companion. He's a long-distance fighter who damages anyone and anything, regardless of friend or foe. Sokka growled and pulled his club from a strap on his back, using his crisscross weapons to block Zhao's attacks. He was dodging when necessary, rolling around to strike the man with his club. One hit was all it took. Zhao took a strike to the gut and doubled over. Zuko, whose swords were already unsheathed, moved to help Zhao before Sokka could deal a finishing blow, but they were interrupted by the voice of someone they didn't expect. Sokka, don't do it! Aang had come. A moment later, a pink blur took advantage of the distraction and hopped from the trees, striking the combustion man's arm in an attempt to release Azula. The man lost control of his arm, but the metal hand was still clamped around her. Oops, Tylee said. The man's flesh hand backhanded her and sent the girl flying into one of the near, undestroyed trees. Tylee, Zuko shouted, leaving the issue of Sokka to Aang. He rushed to the girl and lifted her upper body into his hands. She barely clung onto consciousness, her gaze bleary as she tried to blink away the pain. Tylee, talk to me. Are you all right? Ow, that hurt, she moaned, rubbing her back and her head. She kept alternating between the two. Apparently, she couldn't decide what to nurse at the moment. She was dazed, but otherwise fine. Do you know how to stop that man from using his mind explosions? He asked her quickly. What? 
one of said explosions erupted just above them, not aiming directly at them for fear of the combustion man killing himself, but far enough from the two to cause potential damage. Zuko flung himself protectively over Tylee, shielding her body from further harm. Shards of wood landed on him. Azula frequently tried to wrench herself free of the man's stony grip, but he didn't relent. She stopped struggling for a moment, finally deciding to resort to permanently hurting the man. She narrowed her eyes as a fireball came to life in her palm. She was ready to hurl it at his face, but he disrupted her concentration and flung her away, causing her to roll across the ground. Her wavy hair flowed across her back, matted with dirt. She pushed herself off the ground and took a fighting stance, her amber gaze locked on the man in front of her. Sokka stood in front of Aang, ready to defeat Zhao, but was interrupted when Aang inhaled deeply. Sokka expected a rush of air, but before Aang unleashed it, he held his finger up in front of his mouth and streamed fire from it, letting the air carry it to make it grow. The massive amount of fire collided with the ground and swept heat over them all, but Sokka avoided the attack. Aang was pleasantly surprised with the result of the attack he had just invented, using the combination of his air and firebending. Since, for some reason, he couldn't remember how to breathe fire, he had to do the firebending with his hands. Sokka didn't jump far away enough from Zhao. Aang jumped toward him and hurled his staff, letting the wind spin it around to throw Sokka further away from the other man. Aang's staff faithfully came back to him and his ploy worked. Zhao stood. I'm willing to fight on your side against a common enemy, Aang said through grit teeth. Do not think of this as a hand of friendship. It is not. I really don't like you, but for what it's worth, I'm sorry about what I said. Zhao seemed mildly surprised at his frankness, but smirked. Then we are allies for this one time only. And don't worry, the dislike is mutual. Agreed, said Aang. He examined Sokka. I think he'll waterbend now. Stay on guard. Aang was correct. Sokka used both his club and his machete to lift water from the stream alongside Zhao's camp and sent it at the two. A club and a machete were surprisingly good mediums for waterbending. The club used the hard, bludgeoning power of water pressure while the machete used its cutting ability effectively. Sokka was skilled enough to utilize both at once. Aang pointed his staff at the torrent of water headed their way and released a stream of fire, maintaining it through the attack. While the steam cleared, Sokka chose to run up at him, swing his weapons in tandem. Water trailed behind them, ready to strike Aang. Aang bent into a kick and released a horizontal arc of air to trip him up but the water tribe warrior jumped over the attack and consecutively sent the water at him. It struck Aang in the midsection and threw him off his feet. As he landed, Zhao rushed to his aid and swung his sword at Sokka, who blocked it with his machete and attacked Zhao's open defense with his club. Aang returned quickly, striking Sokka in the gut with a short blast of air, giving Zhao enough time to recover. Aang gathered more wind at the tip of his staff and swung it underhandedly at Sokka, who simply stepped to the side and let it pass. However, the combustion man... Busy with Azula, Zuko, and Tylee, was right behind him and struck him instead. It barely deterred him, but the giant of a man turned and went toward Aang instead. Sokka turned to him at the same time. Aang quickly realized that his staff was useless against Sokka's two weapons, so he threw it away. Kana, who was standing off to the side, was hit with the thrown staff. She scowled. Hey, bye, forgive them. They're going to burn down the whole forest. But forgive me, too, she said. She gathered water from the stream and built it up into a large wave, washing it over everyone on the battlefield. They all paused in their fighting as they became drenched and looked at her with anger written on their faces. Everyone except for the combustion man, because his face was always blank. You're going to destroy the whole forest, Kana shouted at them. 
Sokka ignored her and used the water all over the ground at his disposal, exhaling a breath of frosty air toward Aang. Before it reached him, however, he was forced to block a pair of broadswords from Zuko. Zuko's curved weapons parried Sokka's own weapons easily, and both continually swung them, coming to a standstill. It was only broken when Sokka hit Zuko in the gut with a broad piece of ice. Azula hurled a large, charged fireball to Combustion Man's exposed backside, but the fire simply raged over him and barely harmed the huge man. He turned around, enraged, and sent an explosion at her and Tai Lee, who were next to each other. Tai Lee somersaulted out of the way, while Azula simply ducked. A tree behind her went up in flames. She smirked and sent continuous short blasts at him, always on the move. He did not move from his position, and instead tried to shoot her incessantly, bringing the blast closer and closer to himself. The ground shook, and for a moment Aang thought the combustion man was on the move, but instead he saw five rhinos barreling toward them from the enclave. They all did their best to encircle the fight, and Aang recognized the rhythmic rhinos as their riders, all of which wielded the same weapons Aang remembered from his world. Let's go, boys, Monkey shouted to his companions. Let's show them how much we used to be feared. Bashir held his bow ready while Ogde hurled his chains around the combustion man, who caught them with his metal claw. Ye Lu tried to throw his bombs, but the combustion man noticed them in time and detonated them himself, causing the masked rhino to hurl himself away. Kachi and Monkey attacked together while the Combustion Man was distracted by the explosives, the former with a spear, and the later barehanded, giving Azula time to catch her breath. Aang, Sokka, and Zuko were locked in a battle of complicated footwork and finesse, ducking under each other's attacks. Zuko slashed at Sokka, Sokka ripped through Aang's shawl, and Aang circled around them both at the speed of wind, shooting Sokka from all sides with blasts of fire. As he fought, his mind struggled to come up with a plan to defeat the Combustion Man. Back in his own world, he and his friends were barely able to even touch him. And now, their numbers were reduced and nobody was a master bender. Aang kept the assassin's only weakness in mind, but they didn't have any bludgeoning weapons or an earthbender. He was getting annoyed at the increased uselessness of his own bending. And then, Aang's eyes locked on Sokka's club. Quick as lightning, the airbender's hand shot out at Sokka's left wrist, which was holding the water tribe club. Zuko took the chance and tried to restrain Sokka, wrapping his arms around the waterbender's torso and held him as a lock, pushing his arms up in the air. Aang wrenched the club out of Sokka's hands and then went to help Azula. Zuko managed to get Sokka's machete out of his hands, but the waterbender freed himself. Since Zuko was now weaponless, he tackled the other boy and they both tumbled to the ground in a heap, kicking, punching, and slamming each other into the mud. Sokka kicked Zuko off of him and rolled around on the swordsman's back, his hands on the back of his head as he forced the other boy's face into the mud. Zuko struggled to be free, but Sokka held him there, waiting for him to fall unconscious from the lack of air. Zuko's struggling became weaker and weaker, but more frantic as he panicked. And then, a flying knee struck Sokka on the ribs and threw him off Zuko. Tai Lee skillfully landed on her feet and moved to help Zuko, who was completely covered in mud. Sokka used water bending to get the mud off of his own clothes and held his fists up to Tai Lee, ready to fight. Zuko was still dazed and gulped in lungfuls of air. Tai Lee regarded Sokka with disdain. Oh, please, you won't be able to do a thing against me hand to hand. She performed a round-off to near the waterbender and sprung into the air, landing at Sokka's side and punching him with her fingers. Knowing of her unique ability, Sokka tried to dodge her attacks. Ooh, looks like we're dancing together, Tylee said. Too bad I'm not really into bad boys, though. Since she was getting nowhere against him, she performed a long leg sweep to knock the boy off his feet and struck his pressure points while he was still in the air. Tylee avoided his splash of mud at the backflip, grinned, and ran over to Zuko, even as Sokka let out anguished shouts. Aang slid across the ground to avoid the combustion man's attack, trying to best the man together with Azula, who ran around to the other side of him, and the rhinos that kept their distance. 
The metal man was spinning to try and hit them all, but Aang and Azula hurled blasts of fire to disrupt the explosions and protect their allies. They struggled to get close to him. Suddenly, Aang was once again struck with inspiration from Sokka, recalling how Sokka threw his boomerangs. He'd be able to do the same with the club, but it wouldn't come back. Besides, he didn't want it to. Wakachi engaged the combustion man and kept him distracted. Aang took careful aim and threw the club. It spun through the air, painfully slowly, almost as if the combustion man would simply be able to step back out of the way. He was currently distracted by Azula and Kachi and unable to block it, and the club collided right with his head. It was the first attack that seemed really to hurt him, knocking him back slightly. Everyone, run away! Aang yelled. He quickly spun both of his arms, gathering air around the combustion man. It struggled him at furious speeds, definitely unable to stop one of his explosions, but that wasn't its purpose. Aang expanded the tornado to reach them all, including Sokka and Kana, to blow them all away from the man's uncontrolled blast. Aang didn't look long enough to see if the combustion man still stood after that, but instead reached for his bison whistle and called Appa. The noise of the explosion deterred Appa, but when he heard the whistle, he came to their aid. He landed with Sabi right next to the creek, and Azula and Zuko were the first to climb on his back. Tylee was next, handing Aang's staff back to him. She glanced back wordly at Sokka and Kana. Sokka was on the ground, completely covered in mud, but saved from the blast. Aang glanced at him one last time before jumping on Appa's head, shouting, Yip, yip! The mud, trees, and fire became smaller and smaller as Appa ascended higher and higher, and the four exhaled together when they realized they were safe. Ty Lee leaned over the back of the saddle as she turned to look at the scene far below. Wow, who would have guessed the rhythmic rhinos were that tough? Wait, where did Zhao go? Zuko asked, alarmed. I saw him run away during the fight, Aang said guardedly. He wasn't sure if Zuko or Azula would take his words as truth or not. He did help me, but I think he was the one who called the rhinos for help. Azula shrugged half-heartedly. Well, he never was the most courageous of men. The saddle was filled with an awkward silence as Sabi flew over to Aang's head and coiled around his neck. Zuko and Azula finally spoke at exactly the same time. Aang, we're sorry, they said forcefully, and then the two glared at each other. We shouldn't have left you so readily, said Azula. Our quest is with you, said Zuko. Tylee grinned. Yay, I'm so happy we're a big happy family again, she said to them all. Group hug? They all stared at her, alarmed and denied. The idea brought sadness back into Aang's heart. I'm sorry too, Aang admitted. You've known Zhao your whole life, and it wasn't my right to judge him. He was kind of a jerk, but it wouldn't have been so bad if I wasn't a jerk to begin with myself. <sighs> I'm just upset that we missed out on a chance to see Father again, said Azula, sighing. Don't worry about that, said Aang, and Chill shook his spine. I'm sure we'll run into him one of these days. Chameleon Bay, perhaps, he wondered. Perhaps, Zuko mused. Zhao's probably on his way to father. They grew silent again. Azula quietly observed Aang, but he couldn't tell what she was thinking. Tylee broke the silence by groaning and slapping her forehead. Oh no! We're not going to be able to finish our singing lessons. Azula, we can totally keep practicing, so don't worry. No, said Azula, cutting her off. I think that was enough singing. I myself have come to accept that I truly can't be perfect at every single little thing I try. I was a little annoyed when he called me average at best, but that is far better than completely tone deaf, so I'll take it. 
It's a useless skill, all things considered, and I don't have the desire to truly keep practicing it. She really can't handle criticism, Zuko whispered to Tylee as Azula continued, unabated. Tylee laughed. She'll rationalize her way around it for hours. It's honestly pretty impressive. Aang let her continue on, and he smiled to himself as he crawled toward the ranks. He liked Azula's singing, but this was more like her. Hey guys, it's me, Madame Meow, closing out the chapter. Thank you so much for listening. Um, if my voice sounded a little rough at the end, I gotta admit, I did record this and last week's episode back-to-back. Because I'm on vacation. Or I will be when this episode comes out anyway. And you can't bring your microphone on vacation, apparently. Some will say. Alright, um, end of the episode stuff. Please rate, review, subscribe, etc. on your podcasting platform of choice. Please reach out to your fellow friends who are fans of Atlas stuff. Because if you think they would be interested in an Atlas fanfic, this is a pretty cool one to start with. Even if they're not into the whole audiobook thing. I mean, Distorted Reality itself is a great story. I wouldn't have decided to commit to what will be a year-plus-long project if I didn't think the fanfic was amazing. What else to say? Ah, yes. As I've mentioned a few times now, we have social medias. And if you want to follow us, follow us. That way you can get, you know, notifications when stuff is happening. You can send us questions on them. Did I mention that before? Yeah, please send us questions if you have questions. I don't really know how Twitter works, so I don't know if my uh, DMs are open on Twitter. But you should be able to send us asks on Avatar Destroyed Reality Dash Podcast. Dot Twitter, or not Twitter, uh, Tumblr dot com, I guess, or however Tumblr's URLs work. It's Avatar Destroyed Reality Dash Podcast. You can send us asks on that blog. If you want to reach out to us on Reddit. Our Reddit username is you slash distorted reality pod. Again, I don't really know if Reddit's case sensitive, but in case it is, the D in distorted, the R in reality, and the P in pod are capitalized. Um, Our DMs on Reddit are open, I think. I don't know. Are they called DMs on Reddit? Not sure. I'm not a Reddit guy. Anyways, next week... Unless, of course, the author updates the chapter before then, which they always could. Next week, we are going to be reading a chapter that is not fresh. It is from, let's say, a good number of years ago. I know I mentioned that this fanfic was started a long time ago, but I really do mean that. The fic was first published on fanfiction.net, in December of 2007. So, you know, if you think that you notice something a little different about the next couple of chapters, that's it. That's why. Um, hmm. I think that's all of our announcements. Um, I am going back to college soon, actually. So that that's an announcement. When I'm back at college, I don't know what the audio setup will be like. We may have to get a different microphone. Not sure if I can bring this one with me. Hopefully, it won't affect audio quality that much. 
Maybe audio quality will even improve. Who knows? I can't say for sure because I don't know what's happening. But all right, that's it. Thank you for listening to all the end chatter. If you do listen to the end chatter, I totally understand if you don't always want to listen to my noteless outro segments. That's it. No notes. I just kind of go with it. All right. Thank you, guys. Have a wonderful day. See you next week.